This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 43 to 50. You can find it on page 867 in the Bibles in your rows. It's also printed in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along as I read. Luke 9, 43 to 50. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again. Thank you. Well, so I've noticed a trend in the last few years, particularly on social media. That is our love to brag about our celebrity encounters. I know I've done this many times myself, so I'm no better. By the way, do you know that I've met some celebrities in my life? Now you do. Well, anyhow, I realized there's actually a term for this. It's called famous by proxy or celebrity by proxy. And I think, I think, there should be different levels of coolness to this because not all celebrity encounters are created equal, right? So here it is, okay? Pastor Ryan's Guide to Being Famous by Proxy. Level one, you saw a celebrity. Not that special, right? Maybe you went to a concert, you bumped into one in a restaurant, you saw one on the street, not a big deal. Level two, you met a celebrity. That's more special, right? And better yet, if you have a photo to prove that, that's even better. Now, that could be different sub-level to this. You took a picture of a celebrity, but you're not in the picture. Okay? <laughs> now, cooler, you took a picture with a celebrity, you're in the picture somehow. That's better. And you took a selfie with a celebrity. Now, that's cooler because it shows a different kind of intimacy, right? Yeah. Level three, you have a memorable story to tell about your celebrity encounters. And when people hear that story, they will say, amazing, cool story. And level four, you actually know a celebrity. Now, you're friends or family of a celebrity. But even that also has different sublevels. You know, you know them before they're famous. You just happen to go to the same school with them by chance, or you work with them before they're famous, but you're no longer in contact. Right? And lastly, the coolest way to be famous by proxy, drum roll please, you know them 
after they became famous. You know, they think you are valuable as a friend despite their fame. They may even seek you out and get to know you. And that's a big deal. Of course, it's not just us mere mortals who want to be famous by associating with famous people. Now, just watch a movie about all the stops that Nike pulled out to get Michael Jordan wear their shoes in the 1980s. Now, companies rely on influencers to push, to push their products. Politicians look for other politicians for endorsements. The writers on, rely on newspapers and other publications to gain publicity. It's not just attachments to celebrities. We want to be attached to anyone who could help us succeed. You know, whether it's a good boss, or a high-profile client, or a good team, we seek out people who can benefit us, lift our profiles. And Jesus' disciples also wanted that. And their ticket to fame is Jesus. They thought Jesus could lead them to a revolution. They have seen Jesus transfigure into glory. They have seen his miracles. This man is the real deal. So on the way, they are arguing who could be the next prime minister next to Jesus. And Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, said, "Eh, wrong. That's not how things work in the kingdom of God." And he took a child and said, "If you would be great, receive this little child." So what's special about little children? First, let me just quickly point out what does it mean to receive. And to receive is to welcome, to extend hospitality, to honor. And that's not the first time we see this word in this chapter. Remember, in this beginning of the chapter, when Jesus sent out the twelve disciples to to preach about the kingdom of God, he said, "Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them." Now, Jesus stands with his disciples. If people reject him, they're rejecting Jesus. And Jesus is saying the same thing about the little children here. He stands with the little children. And why little children? Well, there's nothing special about little children. Nothing special about the, this particular child that Jesus put in their midst. From all appearances, he just picked up a random child and and told his disciples to welcome him, honor him. And that's it. There's nothing special about little children. In fact, children were quite unspecial in the New Testament days. Typically, a famous rabbi like Jesus. Wouldn't pay attention to any of the kids. And I'm sure many of you know this. Children are dependent. Well, even our tax codes call them dependents. They're helpless without us. They can't cook. They can't contribute to our economy. They can't drive themselves to places. They require help to survive. And second, they're low in status. Perhaps not so much here in the West because we have baby showers and elaborate birthday parties, but that's not always the case. You know, disciples rebuke people who would bring their kids to Jesus. You know, even Apostle Paul acknowledged in Galatians, the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. And when I was in high school, I volunteered at the William Howard Taft House Museum here in Mount Auburn. Apparently, the Taft family had this. Family philosophy that children should be seen but not heard. Children should be seen but not heard. You, know, you probably heard that before. 
Perhaps some of you grew up in that kind of environment. Now, you could be around, but don't make a scene. And sadly, in some parts of a society, children are often targets of abuse and neglect because they're little and defenseless. And lastly, children force you to make sacrifices. Your kids are probably the reason you can't sleep in on the weekends. They're probably the reason you get up in the middle of the night. They're probably the reason you're driving to different parts of the state every weekend. You know, Tim Keller had this saying that I think is quite true: "You are only as happy as your least happy child. You're only as happy as your least happy child." Not only that, children force you to make sacrifices. They can be extremely ungrateful in doing so. You know, they're unimpressed by the number of hours you spend with them. They're unimpressed by the food that you make for them. They're unimpressed by your extremely funny jokes. You know, is there any wonder then why why so many countries in the world have a declining birth rate? And kids, if you're offended by what I just said. I'm sorry. Just know that Jesus loves you, okay? <laughs> Because it's precisely you that Jesus identifies with. He's not just admiring the children's innocence or their cuteness or gentleness. He's saying, whoever receives these helpless, lowly, dependent, and ungrateful little people receives me. Now there are several layers to this statement. The first, Jesus literally meant little children. He's telling his disciples to love little children, honor them, welcome them, pay attention to them, care for them. And Jesus says in other parts of the gospel, "Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such to such belongs the kingdom of God." He blesses little children. He goes out of his way to heal them. He talks about children in his sermons. Look, God loved the little children, and that means you should too. Care for the children in your life. Spend time with your own kids. Pay attention to their feelings and emotions. Listen to them. But not just your own kids, but also other kids who are in need. Volunteer in places like Lydia's house or Young Lives. Be a tutor for Wits kids. Learn about the needs of the foster care system here in Cincinnati. I'm sure Jenna Everson and many foster care families here could tell you a lot more about them. Most easily volunteer at New City Kids. We're still looking for a few leads in the fall when it comes, and welcome the little kids in the next few weeks as they worship with us. Let them be seen, let them be heard. Also, on a different level, Jesus also using little kids as an analogy to point us to the helpless, to the lowly, to the outcasts. And that means the widows. The orphans, the poor, the refugees, the sick. And in the famous scene about the final judgment in Matthew 25, Jesus separates all the people into two different groups. And to one group, he said, "Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food; I was thirsty and you gave me drink; I was a stranger and you welcomed me; I was naked and you clothed me." I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous people said to him, "When did we ever do any of these for you?" And Jesus answered, "Truly I say to you, as you did to one of these least of these my brothers, you did it to me."
But Jesus puts himself in the place of the poor and the lowly. He is with them. Taylor Swift, in all of her glory and honor and light on stage, is not nearly as close to God as a woman in a homeless shelter. Do you care for the poor of the city? If you would like to find out more about how to do that, I would love to talk to you. I'm sure our deacons would love to work with you. And since Jesus is not with us physically, our service and care for the children and for the poor are tangible ways we serve Jesus himself. So let's do that together as a church. And lastly, in the deepest layer, Jesus is inviting you to become helpless, dependent, and lowly like little children. Now Jesus says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, did he mean only little children can go to heaven? Of course not. He goes on to say, Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He tells Nicodemus he must be born again to be, in, into, to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. He says in Matthew, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus meant at the end of our passage. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. And that's one more thing we know about kids. They're needy. They need your help. They need your food. They need your love. They need your money. They just take and take and take. And Jesus says, that's exactly what, you want, what I want you to be like with me. I want you to be needy with me. I want you to ask me for things boldly. I want you to depend on me. Only then can you become great. Of course, from our childhood up, all of our growing up, all of our education, all of our training is preparing us to be independent, right? And Jesus is not telling you to go back to sucking your thumbs. But to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be needy like a little child. Why? Because of who Jesus is. Now please, complete this phrase with me. Raining on people's parade. Raining on people's parade. Have you noticed that Jesus likes to rain on people's parade? In one moment, they're excited about him. In the next moment, he undercuts the excitement. And we see it happening twice here. The disciples were debating who was the greatest. And Jesus says, eh, don't do it. And right before our passage, Jesus heals a little boy of demon possession. And it says that all were astonished at the majesty of God. And then it said, But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of man. Of course, by that he meant he's going to die. The people were marveling his greatness. It would be a perfect time to capitalize on the momentum. Instead, Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. And he didn't just mention this in passing. He commanded them. He said, let these words sink into your ears. Take it to heart. This is my destiny. And the disciples didn't want that to happen. We see four negatives here in verse 45. 
They did not understand this saying. It was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about the saying. They were too afraid to know what Jesus meant. They didn't want their leader to die. So they wanted a celebrity Jesus. They wanted a transfigured Jesus. They wanted a, a miracle-working Jesus. They didn't want a crucified Jesus. But what they didn't understand is that unless Jesus dies, we can have no part in His glory. We will forever be separated from Him. And what has Jesus shown us in this point, in this chapter? The healings, the feeding of the five thousand, the transfiguration. He's not just a mere mortal. He is God who became man, God with us. Jesus left His full glory and perfect holiness in heaven to dwell among sinners. He had to come to us because we cannot go to Him because we have failed. We have a hopeless addiction to messing things up. We are selfish. We've been working for our own glory. We've been treating other people as useful tools. We've been neglecting people who actually need our help. Now, in biblical words, we are sinful. We're unqualified to enter God's perfect holiness because we'd be burned up. Now, if you have a squeaky clean new car and you see a speck of dirt on the hood, you'll wipe it off in no time. You wouldn't tolerate your new car to get dirty. How can we expect God to tolerate a little sinful human being in His perfect holiness? Now, God cannot tolerate any imperfection in His presence. So, for us to be great in His kingdom, Jesus had to come to us. He became a child, a poor homeless man, an outcast, a criminal, eventually a sacrifice. Now, Jesus had to go to the cross to take our place. So that he, we, he could take all of our imperfections and remove it from us, and instead we get all His perfect righteousness, we become acceptable to God. And disciples do not understand this, because they haven't seen the other side of the cross. They didn't know what this meant. But we do. We know how the story ends. We know that three days later Jesus rose from the dead. And he ascended to his throne in heaven, and he sent his Holy Spirit to unite us with him. He came down and down and down to take our filthy place, so that we can go up and up and up to be with him in his glory. His success becomes our success. His glory becomes our glory. His greatness becomes our greatness. It's not anything that we work for; it's freely given to us. We have it by the virtue of being united with Jesus. All we need to do is to acknowledge that we are helpless, lowly, and needy, like little children. And we may think of humility as, you know, having low ambition and just living a, an average Midwest life. But that's not true. God wants to satisfy your ambitions. God wants you to make you. God wants to make you great. God wants to give you His glory. And true humility is knowing that where your true glory. Comes from. It's from being united with Jesus. Now, why does Jesus put so much premium into loving little kids and serving the poor? I mean, yes, the acts themselves are honorable. 
It's not that all these, just doing these things will make you right with God. Not all social workers and teachers are part of God's kingdom. Because it's a matter of the heart. Now, many people could do honorable things for selfish reasons. For example, when I was younger, I would often share pictures of me playing with little kids. Not because I love little kids, but because I want to impress girls. Over the long term, serving the helpless and the lowly will reflect the belief in our hearts. Can we make sacrifices for them, even though they're no use for us? When they don't bring us fame, when they don't make us great, when they even come across as ungrateful. Now, why should we serve people like that? Because Jesus did it for us. He made us great. We already have all the honor, all the glory, all the praise that he deserves. So can we look at people differently? You can serve people because you love them, not because they're useful to you. You can climb down the social ladder because Jesus has already lifted you up above all earthly honors. If you don't get the recognition you wanted at work, shrug it off. Because God is already satisfied with you. He's pleased with you. You can hold your Midwest American life loosely. Because in Jesus, you will inherit the earth. See, some of us are reading through a book on mercy ministry as deacons and and it puts us succinctly, Jesus is not against the rich, but he is against rich living. Jesus is not against the rich, he is against rich living. And can we make sacrifices for others out of our richness? Give to the poor. Get to know them. Give them some of your, give them some of your time. If tithing 10% isn't a big sacrifice for you, then perhaps it's time to see if you can give more. And that's why we do what we do in China Partnership, so that we can learn from the Chinese church on how to hold our lives loosely, how to live sacrificially. If they can live sacrificially out of their poverty, can we live sacrificially out of our wealth? And we know this is not an easy message to swallow. This ain't natural for us. We've been talking for this many weeks now as we look at this chapter, and we'll talk about it again next week. Jesus had to warn his disciples about his death three times. Three times. And yet at the end, they still deserted him. One moment, Jesus was talking about his crucifixion. The next moment, the disciples were arguing who's going to be the greatest. That's what's natural for us. We don't want to get hurt. We want to make our names great. We want success and security. And to do that, we have to fight. We have to compete. We have to be strong. Think of the controversy surrounding college admissions. Now, people argue around in front of the Supreme Court about affirmative action, it's discriminatory, exclusive. But elite college admission itself is discriminatory and exclusive. It's a zero-sum game. There are only a few, so few spots. To accept one person, they have to discriminate against another person. And that's the problem being great in this world. It's a zero-sum game. You have to beat others down so you can be lifted up. For you to feel safe, others have to be broken. So that's really one really simple solution to the whole college admission thing. Schools like Harvard could just increase enrollment 
until it's fair for everyone. But they're not going to do that, are they? Because that would make them less exclusive, make them less elite. You don't have to compete for greatness in God's kingdom because there's nothing you can do to get yourself into God's kingdom. It's freely given to you. Jesus is broken so you can be saved. Jesus is brought down so you can be lifted up. There's no affirmative action for God's greatness. It's available for anyone who acknowledges their need for Jesus because Jesus has achieved it all for you. All you need to do is to receive him. The glories of heaven and earth belongs to you not because of who you are or what you have done, but because of who Jesus is and what he did for you. So since we've been talking about little kids, let me close with a little kid story. Once upon a time, there were three trees with big dreams. Anyone know this story? Hey, one person. All right, three trees with big dreams. One tree wanted to be created into a treasure chest, holding the most precious treasures in the world. The second tree wanted to be made into a great ship, carrying kings and lords. And the last tree just wanted to keep growing to become tall, pointing people up to God. So years went by, the trees grew up, and they were cut down. One made into a box. Instead of holding treasures, he was put in a barn, holding animal feeds and straws. The second tree was made into a boat. But instead of kings, he carried fishermen and stinky fish. The last tree was chopped down into two pieces of wood, neglected in a lumberyard. And there they sat, year after year, Maybe that's where you are. Day after day, year after year, sitting in the disappointment of your obscurity and failures. And one evening, a young couple were visiting a small town. They couldn't find a place to live. So they had to settle in a small barn. And that night, a woman gave birth to a boy, and they placed the little baby in a wooden small box, holding animal feed and straws. And when the angels and the shepherds came to worship this little boy, the first little tree realized he was holding the greatest treasure God has ever given to the whole world. And the baby grew up, became friends with some fishermen, and one night he was sleeping in a boat, and there arose a great storm, and they were all tossing and turning, and everyone was scared. But the man woke up, spoke a few words, and the storm calmed down. And when this second little tree saw that this even storm and rain obeyed this man, he realized he was carrying the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this man was eventually accused of a crime, and he was threat, he was sentenced to death. And they put two pieces of lumber together, and they nailed this man on it. And when the third tree saw that this man was carrying the sins of the world in his shoulder, and now the whole world is reconciled to God. He realized that he has now become a sign pointing high up into heaven. Now, all three trees had ambitions to be great. And all of them had their dreams crushed. But when they met Jesus and realized who he is, their lives were transformed. The leaves have become great. 
And a while since sabbatical early this year, I reflected on my work here in New City in the last seven years. And it soon occurred to me that success and fruits are very different things. Success is for my own glory. Fruit is for the glory of other people. I hope I can bear fruit and let God worry about my, other, my success. And what if New City becomes a place where we are not known for our successful people, but for our fruits? What kind of church would we be? What kind of impact can we have in this city? So let me invite you to pray with me for that. Father, we thank you that you gave us, you gave us Jesus. And he is beautiful and he can make our lives beautiful, not because of who we are, but because you did not think us too lowly for you to dwell among us, among sinners like us, that you can make us beautiful because you unite us to be with you, and we pray that now you can help us to make other people beautiful as well as we share Jesus, as we tell people about you, about the kingdom of God, that it can lift up the lowly and the humble people, people who have no hope in this world, but that they are great in your kingdom. And Father, we pray that you would give us the strength to do that, to care for little children, for the poor and the sick and the lowly in this world in our city. And we pray that you would help us to know that we are great in you already. We don't have to work for our greatness. And we could have true humility to live in your kingdom, to await the day when we could feast with you, because you love us and you honor us. Pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's New City. C-I-N-C-Y dot org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.